Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to a new episode of New Jersey is the world. This one means a lot to me. I, uh, I'm not trying to blow smoke. You're going to hear. I'm just a big fan of the person I get to talk to. If you are a fan of our show, I bet there are a lot of people out there who know the work of Brian Donahue. He's been a journalist in New Jersey forever, and he does the Positively New Jersey segments for News 12, which are just, um, you, you might say, like human interest pieces. You might say kind of these slices of life from New Jersey that get a little specific, a little strange. Some of them take on an adventure quality, but he just goes to all these corners of the state. He finds people, he finds things, he finds places that you don't expect, and he shines a spotlight on them. And I say right out of the gate, I think it's in a lineage of New Jersey writers and New Jersey exploration and New Jersey pride. It's real rarefied air. And I think I think Brian gets a lot of love from people who, who love New Jersey, and I think he needs more. I think uh, if you know his work, I think we all need to say we're lucky to have this guy represent the state. And if you don't know his work, dive in deep because you're going to love it. Uh, if, you, if you love this podcast, he's he's basically doing, if I can be so bold, a longer running, more professional, better version of the stuff we try to do around here. And I don't say that lightly. I'm proud of what we do around here. Um, I really feel so lucky that I got to talk to him. We hear some very funny stories about different stories that he's covered. Um, you're going to hear that, you know, he, he's interviewed me a couple of times and I'm able to give him a lot of credit for how hard he works. It's going to make you respect him even more. And in the end, uh, I, I am able to tell him personally how much his work means. And I think a lot of people are going to listen to him in this interview, reflect on the stuff he does, go watch something and go, yeah, this stuff's special. This stuff's special. And, uh, we should all be talking about it even more than we do. Much love to Brian Donahue for the interview, for doing what you do. Thanks to everybody who listens. You guys know the spiel. Go buy a t-shirt below the collar.com slash Chris Gather. Go join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. But most importantly, love this place and all the strange, weird, unexpected things about it. And uh, if you know, if you want to turn off this interview, I would say the only reason to turn it off early is because you want to go and just shotgun like 10 different pieces that Brian's put out that will make you so happy to be from here and make you so full of joy in thinking about this state. Enjoy it, everybody. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm sure I did an intro, and I'm sure this intro was glowing. But just to reiterate, um, so lucky today, interviewing someone that I, f- I feel like if you're listening to our little New Jersey podcast, there are probably a lot of people where the Venn diagram already crosses over. You're already following the work of Brian Donahue. I know... Me personally, when we started doing interviews, one of my co-hosts, a guy I grew up with in West Orange named Bonaduce, we started interviewing people. One of the first people, he was like, you got to get, you got to get Brian Donahue. He's like, you got to get him from News 12. He's the best stuff. And Bonaduce, anyone can vouch for me who listens to our show. He's probably the most Jersey of all of us. And this is a Jersey fan podcast. Um, so I know, I will say this. Brian, um, many people probably know from News 12, particularly the the positively Jersey segments, which are, I think, I want to talk to you so much about um, how you even cornered the market on this dream game. <laughs> but I would say you're somebody who I think there is a, a, so much love, and but I, w- I will say not an unsung hero, but I think not sung enough. I, and I want to sing. I want to sing and say, I think you have done as much as anyone. I'm putting you up there with uh, Mark and Mark as far as how much Jersey love you've spread. I'll put you up there with Glenn Jones and the WFMU gang. I'll put you up there with, uh, with Uncle whoa, Floyd. Whoa, I put you up whoa, there whoa. You're with some big names. You're th- but I really do. Those I are some of my, those are like, those, those are like, that's a triumvirate right there. Those are some of my idols. Listen for me too. But I feel like who's been out here, not just like spreading Jersey love as much as you have, but some of the pieces you put out, are they're real deal things that like you're not going to hear about unless you're firmly entrenched in Jersey. And th- these are not, um, these are not surface level. This is not like, uh, 
you know, you, you can see out here there, you, these lists that go around the internet. Like, you, you know, you're from Jersey when, and right, it's all get, the most know, basic I stuff. Do, you're I cutting get, deep. I get so tired of the same old stuff, the Taylor ham, the stuff, you know, like I did, a, I think I did a piece last year on the, the Jersey yellow gravel, right? At the shore. <laughs> like there's no place else in the world where every yard is this, this particular type of gravel. Like if, if you came down in a spaceship and you were an alien and, or if you're not an alien, if you were just kidnapped by aliens and then they dropped you back and you were face down, I actually started this piece lying face down saying, if you <laughs> fell out of an airplane, you, you know exactly where you are, man, because of that gravel. Yeah. And then there's a whole story behind it too. There's like, it was, it's a byproduct. That gravel is a byproduct of the sand mines that were in the Pine Barrens, you know? So there's a big sand industry, which is used for glass. And then as they're digging it up, they're like, well, what do we do with this gravel, man? Like, and somebody's like, I don't know, I'll put in a truck and I'll, you know, they're building these bungalows in the fifties and in the thirties and post-war years on these barrier islands. So I go sell it as the ground cover and then boom. And now every house has this gravel. So yeah, like that was a story that I don't think anyone has ever done. I, I, actually, when I pitched that, I used to be at, when I worked at NJ.com and I pitched that, that was a spite story because I pitched that gravel story to my previous editor in a pitch meeting. And he said, this is the most boring story I've ever, idea I've ever heard. And I was like, I'm going to show you, man. I'm going to show you. And then I, <laughs> I left the ledger and like five years later, I did it. As soon as I posted that story, I sent it right to him. I sent it yeah. right to my old boss. And I was like, there you go, man. Here's your gravel story. It's freaking great. Did he write back and say it was more exciting? I think he begrudgingly conceded that I had I had pulled it off. I mean, I went to the gravel mine. I went to the place where this <laughs> stuff is sorted. I, it's this crazy industrial scene, this pit, these pits in the Pine Barrens, the, the main Jersey gravel spot where it's all dug out and it's sorted by size and these giant machines and then there's a quarry with this blue water you know one of those crazy quarries it was and it was like 100 degrees that day but yeah that's that's one of the ones that was like i have to ask how that even how you come up with some of these things because like we did an episode on south jersey baseball mud which not everybody knows about that they all the mud for baseballs from south jersey we did a we did an episode on that and um so there were a lot of people listening who are like Jersey fans who were like, Oh, I, I didn't know about that, but you're doing, you're doing shore gravel. This makes, this makes baseball mud look like a mainstream. You know what I mean? Like you're I cutting the, so deep with this gravel baseball mud story last year. And there's a story behind that too. I hounded that dude for years. He did not. So that dude who digs up the baseball mud, and this is for people who don't know every major league and minor league baseball is rubbed with with mud, Lena Blackburn's baseball rubbing mud that's dug out of a creek, a secret spot where I'm sworn to secrecy. I can't tell where it is. Oh, you know? Yeah, he took me there. So, uh, but this took, I, I like, I think five years of me having it on my calendar. I'm like, call Lena Blackburn baseball rubbing mud, <clears throat> and I got a. Once I'm leaving messages and answering machines are cut off. There was one time I, I went in person. I'm knocking on the guy's door. I happened to be in Atlantic City, and his house is down in Upsecon, I think. Uh, I had an address. So if, every time I was sent to Atlantic City for some other story, I'd be like, I'm going to knock on the baseball rubbing mud. And then, <laughs> and then I finally, uh, he stopped. He dropped off the face of the planet, and then I started going on his Facebook page, and he's a total QAnon dude. Oh, and wow. he's got all this, you know, he, and he'd been, oh. he'd, been knocked off, uh, he'd been knocked off Facebook a couple times. And I'm like, oh, wow, this guy. <clears throat> and then finally, uh, so I was like, he's really wary of the media, right? I'm like, you're calling a QAnon dude and you're a reporter. It's like, oh, he's not going to want to take me out there. And then finally, when I talked to him and I told him about the story I, I wanted to do and, you know, the, the stuff that I do. And he was like, yeah, I'll, you know, meet me at the spot. I'll, I'll take you out and show you. And, and I don't care about the guy's politics at that point. He's a, it's, it's a story of his family's business, you know, in baseball and you know, Absolutely. So, yeah, so God was, forbid there's ever an accident that strikes their family. You you are one of a handful of people that know <laughs> the actual location of the baseball. You could save Major League Baseball. I, I, I could save Major League Baseball. Or I could blackmail Major League Baseball and be like, I know oh, where the man. mud is, man. You want I the mud? That. You want the so mud? How, five times the cost. I have to ask how this happens. Like, How do you become this guy 
at nj.com and news 12. Like how, how does, how does one come to be the guy doing the, cause I went back, you know, um, I watched a, a ton of your stuff, but I was like, let me just see what you've been up to lately. And I, I'm like, perfect example for anybody who's not following Brian's work. You got to go follow it. Perfect example of one of the more recent ones you did is just, Hey, if you take a certain train line in New Jersey, you often see this surfboard floating in the Meadowlands. And then it's just, you took a kayak. You went, I want to know what's up with that surfboard. People that see was the eight surfboard. days ago. Look at this rash on my arm. Oh, that I still have. My, ear, scum. my <laughs> ear was oozing for, for <laughs> seven days. This weird pus coming out of my ear from that Meadowlands trip. And my favorite thing about that, and anybody who, I think you should pause it and go watch it. It's three minutes long. So if you want to go watch it, go watch it now because I'm going to spoil it. My favorite thing is that the, the, the river, there was this truck yard. They denied you access. So you have to go on a kayak. You have to lift the kayak over areas that are too shallow. And then when you get out there, a guy is just sitting on the property of the truck yard. And, and, he's, it's him. and he's he the guy. I'm Tony G from Hoboken. I mean, it was the perfect, it was, it, it couldn't have been more per perfect. And Tony G from Hoboken put the surfboard in the creek and tied it up. So when he feeds, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I mean, it's on video. When he feeds the snapping turtles, cheese doodles, they also like <laughs> to sit on the surfboard sometimes. And he I loved love it. But I, that mean, was I love everything about that. I also love that they could have just said, oh, you should just go talk to Tony G and saved you hours of your life and a skin they rash could have, they could have i went to that trucking yard again this is another example of how long sometimes these things take to come together i went there in the spring right we're talking here now in september i went to the truck yard on a freezing cold day in march and asked if i could get back and see the surfboard and they're like nope you can't get back there we have dp issues you were not allowed to touch the creek we can't go near the creek we can't touch the creek and it's a huge fence and it's electrified and at that point, I was like, there's no way to get to the surfboard but take a kayak. You know, but that was a great surfboard. I, I, that story was um, – It was great. It, you know, that's the Meadowlands for you too, right? That story just said everything about the Meadowlands, how you are in this, you're in the center of everything in this metropolis, and then you're in the middle of nowhere. We're using a machete to bushwhack. And the Amtrak trains are going right past us, you know? Right. Um, and, then, and then you encounter this character, like – He's I, just sitting there. I, I mean, just, just, I mean, this there. is the thing about New Jersey, right? They always, it, it, a lot of, I have other reporters who are like, how do you find these people, right? I'm like, if you just keep going, right? If you just keep going, <laughs> New Jersey will provide. Like if we knew we just kept going, we'd find the support. And then it's like the Jersey God, like the character is there, you know? And you just don't stop reporting until you find the character either. Like, right? we had, I had to find some person in that, yeah. in that story but um it was just found the perfect guy and he happened to be the guy who put the surfboard there it was crazy i mean that was crazy luck that it was, was it's like you go on this big heart of darkness journey i mean it is it's like a joseph campbell journey through the meadowlands all to just get back to the guy who worked at the place that denied you <laughs> it's so funny as yeah, soon as i was sitting there laughing so how how do you do you, are you just the guy pitching the weirdest stories and then they they just it becomes more and more your thing until you can focus on those? It is some kinds uh, kind of like I am sort of the odd ball at News 12, right? Like there's these story pitch meetings at nine o'clock in the morning and someone's like, I'm going to do the story about, you know, the sales tax cut on back to school supplies. And I'm going to do the story on COVID and masks or no masks. I'm going to do a story about student loans. And then it's like, they come to me and I'm like, well, my cousin Jimmy and I, you know, I saw the surfboard from the train and we're going to go out in a canoe and there's a guy who feeds cheese doodles to snappy turtles. It's going to be great. Trust me. And there's just sort of dead silence. But they, I, thankfully, I'm so lucky that they, you know, they trust me at this point. I think yeah, that, yeah. that uh, I'm really lucky. I mean, uh, it's been a long, bizarre path to, to get to this spot. Like, you know, I mean, your career takes these twists and turns that you don't expect they're going to take. I was a newspaper reporter, you know, Jersey Journal for five years covering politics in Hudson County. Jeez. Uh, then to the, uh, I did like a brief stint in South America trying to think maybe I'd be a foreign correspondent. I realized I just got too homesick uh, after like eight months in Latin America. Came back, uh, the ledger hired me. And I covered uh, prisons and criminal justice, state house politics, immigration for seven years. So it was all print. 
And then video came around 2008 at the ledger and they're like, we're launching these, this video webcast. We need a host. And it was a tryout for the host actually at the ledger. How I got into video was there was a tryout for this webcast. The ledger was launching and I, I went and tried out and made a kind of made a joke of the whole thing. Yeah. I did it. I did a, um, a weather report for the city of Newark and I stood before a map of just all the wards of Newark. And then for the sun, I had little a sticker of sharp James, like with the sun around his head. Like, it's going to be sunny in the, in the North ward. And then it, sharp James was on trial for corruption at that point for like turning <laughs> properties over to his girlfriend. Then I had a little cloud and thunderstorm with his girlfriend. And I put that on the map and I just, I was like, this is, and then they chose me to host the thing. Yeah. Like you try out for something, you'll get the jobs that you're sometimes that you don't want by accident, but that's what they wanted. They wanted someone who was not TV and more vlog and web video. And um, so then I did Ledger Live for X number of years at the Ledger uh, video webcast. And that's how I ended up in TV. And the, the stuff I did at the Ledger was more sort of uh, snarky takes on public policy. That was kind of my bread and butter there. Yeah. Um, and when I s went to back to, to, to News 12 and to TV, I tried that a little bit and it didn't translate as well, partly because you just you need so much more time. If you're going to do a story about politics or public policy, you have to really know what you're talking <laughs> about. Like you right. really need to know, you know, if you're, you know, the, the material and uh, it's just just harder to do that on a, you know, doing three stories a week. And then also the political climate changed too. It got so nasty and, and just like, you know, I don't know if we need more snarky takes on public policy anymore. You know, like this world doesn't just need that. So yeah. it felt really right to just start moving in the direction of just highlighting interesting people and personalities and then showing people uh, a corner of the state maybe they'd never seen, introducing them to a type of person they would never meet in their real life. You know, um, and that just felt really right. So that's kind of how the direction it's it's gone in. I really love it, and I do. I feel like it occupies this place where it's like, it's one of those things that sometimes you get hyperbolic, and I go like, it. It they feel like pieces that could only exist in New Jersey, not just content wise, but vibe wise and and mentality wise, and the fact that you're allowed to do it wise. And it's like, I'm sure there's someone in Iowa who makes their bones like chronicling the 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 sort of oddball characters or the hidden pockets of Iowa but the way you the way you nail these videos down in Jersey it really does feel like part of a lineage that does go back to Mark and Mark at Weird New Jersey that does remind me of when I was at Rutgers and I was taking classes on New Jersey culture and reading the old like Henry Charlton Beck books if you've ever checked those out and he used to chronicle like all the back roads and stuff and it mm -hmm. feels like there is a real uh a real tradition in Jersey of just like, let's go on an epic adventure to look at a thing and just say, huh, look at that. And I feel like I say that with truly high praise that you are, I think, carrying the torch of that in a huge way right now. I mean, it, you mentioned all those people and like, I have soaked in all of that. You know, I've read every episode, every edition of Weird New Jersey. I mean, I was an Uncle Floyd. You and I have talked about yeah, what an influence yeah. Uncle Floyd was on both of us. And what I love about Uncle Floyd was like, I, I remember vividly being a kid watching Uncle Floyd. I must have been like eight years old and, and the set collapsed and like Rooney, <laughs> Skip Rooney fell onto it. And I was like, that, like you can do that. Like yes. you can have a TV show where everything's on the edge of collapsing. I mean, this is your, yeah. that's your bread and butter, man. Right. My so, whole life for years. And I just like to have thing. that element of that in there too. So there is a, like a little bit of Uncle Floyd um, and that, the other thing about adventure is like, I'm really into like micro adventures. Like that's, I, that's a little kind of weird phrase, but like I said, I toyed with this idea earlier in my career of being a foreign correspondent. And when I was in my twenties, I, that was kind of like the first thing coming out of college. I was like, I want to work overseas. I wanted to work in Latin America. And I was really pretty restless footloose. Like I, I, I backpacked all over. I tried to freelance. Um, I, I really am just complete. I can't sit still at all. And, yeah. uh, but I also, you know, I woke up one day in like a tent in Tierra del Fuego in a snowstorm and 27 years old. 
on Memorial Day weekend, it was like, oh my God, it's Memorial Day weekend. Why? <laughs> what am I doing here? My there's like 40 relatives hanging out in in the Jersey Shore now. I'm I got so homesick. I got so insanely homesick, and uh, you know, I ended up back in Jersey, and so that sort of curiosity and footloose, like I realized, like I can satisfy that here. You really can. Like it's it's abs- it's insane. This state the variety of, of experiences that you can stumble into. Like I could be in Gloucester County with a sawmill owner in the, or in the Pine Barrens one day. And then the next day I'm with, you know, Mr. Smell good, feel good. Mr. Smell good, look good in Newark doing a profile of him, you know, and it's, it, uh, you know, I'm home for dinner with my yeah, kids. So it's yeah. like, it's this great cross section of, uh, of America too. And the world, like this is the title of your podcast, man. New Jersey is the world. Like it really is. And it's, you can see so much of it and it's still just sort of sleep in your own bed at night. It's insane. It's great. So I'm mean, so super lucky to be able to do it. Now I feel lucky. Cause I, I think you've, we've done stuff together. I think two time, two or three things yeah. together. You've been very kind to me over the years and I thank you for that, but I want to give you some credit, maybe blow up your spot a little bit and, and talk to something that I'm sure is both like, frustrating for you in some ways, but also speaks to, I think, part of why your stuff does ring so true. So I've been around in in entertainment and, um, you know, I'm like always vaguely embarrassed by that, but I've been, you know, I've had to do things where I've had to go and do promotion and press and stuff like this. And when you do video pieces, generally you show up, there's a sound guy, there's a producer, maybe two, there might be a PA, there's a video shooter and the host. Um, now we come from Jersey where there's a a huge pride in DIY. You know, I think starting with music, starting, you know, you look at like the Misfits to the Bouncing Souls down to the Ergs and Screaming Females, Front Bottoms, all the all these Jersey bands that we know. But also how much credit does Kevin Smith get for being the DIY filmmaker who just went and made it happen? I keep bringing them up, but Mark and Mark went and made their own magazine, right? Like all this stuff. When we first did a thing together, I'll never forget, it was just you. <laughs> It was just you. You set up everything. You did it all, which must, first of all, I think a lot of people are going to hear that and go, oh, this is why this stuff feels so real. This is, it's why a guy like Bonaduce is like, you gotta, we gotta talk to Brian on the show because it's part of it. Also must be massively frustrating for you at some times. Um, but it's pretty badass that you get out there and you can really run it as a one man band when you have to, huh? Yeah, I mean, I do it all as a one band band every day, and, and you know that has its good parts and bad parts. I, I, you know, I went from print to web video, so like I kind of the idea at the ledger when we started that whole thing was like we're not going to be TV. So I, I feel like I have this almost advantage over people who have been trained in TV and like you yeah. know having the having the hairdo and the you know and looking <laughs> and like having that TV voice. Um, so I just, it was the way, it was the only way I, I can do it now. I've, I've, I do work with photographers sometimes. They'll, they'll pair me. But, you know, one of the things is that it, using a smaller camera, a GoPro or an iPhone, like you just get better stuff. And I, I spent a lot of my time interviewing people who are not used to being on TV. And when you show up with somebody who's, been, who's not used to being on TV and I'm holding a stick mic and they've got a big giant camera on their shoulder and there's a light in their face and the photographer saying, hold on, I got to do a white balance. Hold on. Could, ma'am, can you stand over here? Can you move over here? I'm like, this is it. This, you lost it. You lost the whole yeah. moment, you know, whereas if I'm on the Asbury Park boardwalk and I have an iPhone on a selfie stick and I walk up to someone and I don't sneak. I'm like, I'm clear that I'm a reporter. It's not like a hidden camera thing, but people are just so much more at ease. They're used to being filmed on iPhones now and the GoPro, sometimes they don't even recognize. They're like, what's that thing? Um, so it just enables me to get much more raw, real life stuff, you know. I mean, I, I it was one time when there was a, a massive uh, jackpot in the lottery, and uh, it was the story pitch meeting. I'm like, how are we going to cover this big Mega Millions jackpot? And I'm like, I, I know what we're going to. I got to do. I got to go to Bayonne, and I got to ask people what their system is. Right, because everybody's got a system. I mean, my Especially aunt Mary, they own, right? My aunt Mary from Weehawken, and every time I move to a new apartment, she's like, "What's the number? I'm gonna play the number." He's a two seventy. I'll play. So everybody, and then I and I went to outside this 
you know, Bayonne highest percentage of lottery sales per, per capita in the state. Uh, and I just asked people like, Hey, then the first, the first person I interviewed with the little GoPro camera, she says to me, yeah, if I see like a bus crash on TV, I play the number of the bus crash. And the next guy says, I asked Jesus what number to play, you know, <laughs> and I just don't think I'm going to get that kind of raw stuff. And those great quotes, if I'm got a big camera setup. And again, like it, like you said, it really is, it's, it's my blessing and my curse because it's insane amount of work. I mean, I come up, I should show up, I'm interviewing you. Where were we? Like I, I had to put like a GoPro over here and an iPhone over here and you're trying to make sure the sound is okay. And the person's mic'd up, but then you have to do the interview. So you have to, think of what the questions are going to be. I mean, I kind of look like a manic uh, lunatic in some of these shoots. And I tell people that sometimes I'm like, I'm going to look like the crazy person. Just talk to me because <laughs> <laughs> I got to run to this camera, this camera while you're talking, but it works, you know, and uh, it, it really does. It's, it is like you're saying, it's the inverse of somebody showing up with a big, with like a steady cam on a rig and someone freezing in front of it. It's not only does it not create that, it actually probably fosters a sense of uh like when you're out in a place like Bayonne and people realize, oh, you're a hustler, that is, you know, especially in some of those North Jersey city environments, like everybody's a hustler, everybody's trying to, so it must just instantly make people go like, oh, I'm on your, what do you need? I want to help. My line is like, oh, you don't have a photographer? I'm like, photographers are for people who can't do everything. Yeah, there you, you know, go. I got it. Very you know. Jersey, <laughs> very Jersey. Now, you might have an interesting perspective on this. This is a little bit more of a serious question um, and I'm not even sure where it's going to go. But I was thinking, you know, we, um, I think the, there's uh, Nancy Solomon, WMYC reporter who put out the, uh, the podcast a few months back. That was all about, uh, you know, it led right up to a lot of the stuff with George Norcross and, and the recent murder that happened and, and the family in central Jersey right. that had political ties and the Sheridans. Yes, yes, yes. The Sheridans. And, uh, she was like, we were talking with her, she does a lot of the New Jersey coverage for WMYC. We're asking her like, why is this state? Why is that corruption there? Why, why is, um, you know, why, how do people get away with this? And she said, a part of it is you got the New York media market, the Philly media market and New Jersey kind of lives in this place that's in between, but is dominated by them. And you don't really have a lot of force put between put behind covering New Jersey. It's like the side gig for New York and, and Philly media machines in a, in a lot of ways. I see what you do and I go, it seems to me that the, the, the stuff you're doing on news 12, like the surfboard, like lotto strategy coverage, I go, this is what happens when someone gets creative about saying, okay, we're not, New York, we're not Philly, but what lives on the margins that they can't do? What are the things that they can't dedicate resources to that we can fill that that void in? And I actually look at what you're doing, I go, that to me feels like a very creative way to carve out a take that some of the some of them could not dream of doing. And I I wish that there was more creativity in the coverage of New Jersey. Not that we don't have, not that the ledger's not great. Not that I don't love Jerry Carino at the Asbury Park Press with all the sports writing. Not that there aren't people I respect, but I go, oh, it it does make me wonder why there aren't more people getting a little funky, getting a little weird. Because to me, it seems like that's you and Pete Genovese are the people who I can see who are like, we've carved out a space to say, this place is strange. Let's embrace that. Let's go whole hog into it. And let's fill that void that the New York and Philly big money corporate doesn't totally allow. And let's fill it up with the stuff that's really happening here. Yeah. Some of that is just the, the complete decimation of all the news outlets. Right. right. I mean, I think, that, I think when I let, let's start at the ledger, I think there were 350 people in the newsroom. And when I left, there was like a hundred, you know? Uh, so you just don't have the bodies, you know, you're just trying to, they're just scrambling to cover day to day. And I would argue that the ledger back in the day when it was at full strength, did, did a great job of the kind oh. of coverage that you're talking about. I mean, I remember like whole series about, you know, uh, the dying Lenny Lenape language that the paper was doing, you know, like the last speakers and sending reporters down to, you know, whatever state 
a lot of that tribe uh, had moved to or you know over the, over the century really um and just that kind of stuff um i still have a star ledger folded up section that was one of the best things they ever did where they had people send in their family uh, red sauce gravy recipe <laughs> and the photos of the people in the kitchen and the grandmas in the kitchen and i have it it's like a five section five pa uh, page i still have the torn yellowed newspaper section of all these recipes and i still use that so they I, they did that kind of stuff great and it, you know it takes it takes us you can really do it wrong too like you can really go wrong if you try to do that stuff and you don't have the right people and one thing that i've learned is it's not so bad getting old because when you you get older you get there's a reason that like at newspapers you had to be a reporter for 20 years before you became a columnist right, right. until you, you 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 had to really know the beat and and until you were able to express your own voice as a columnist, you had to just be in the trenches as a news reporter. And I think that there's a lot of people uh, being hired. It's a lot of news outlets, very young, much younger. I mean, the ledger was a place you had to have five years minimum daily newspaper experience before you got there. Now there's more people being hired right out of college. They're younger. And I couldn't have pulled off. I could never have pulled off the stuff I'm doing now when I was 25 years old. You know, I couldn't have, I didn't have the voice. I hadn't developed the sensibility. I didn't have the sense, the life experiences. Like I, I, I had to do all that first, you know? Um, I mean, I did a story today about new dormitories at Stevens university. These kids are moving into these dorms with these incredible views, 21st floor views on the Hudson river. Right. And I think my experience really kind of informed that whole piece just a little bit of like, you know, I had a view of a dumpster when I was in college my sophomore year <laughs> you know and i can throw that in there um and i also like i i'd rather have you know what the tuition was in 1993 than a fancy view because these kids are going to be paying for this view until they're 50 so right, i had these little right. things that i can pepper in there like a little bit of cynicism be like yeah this is a great view but you know how much does it cost versus what i paid you know 30 years ago so it's just hard to do that kind of stuff really well. It takes experience. It takes a voice and it, uh, and it takes a lot of bodies to have, you know, it's luxury for a news organization to do those kind of stories. So, yeah, it is, uh, it is shock for, you know, you don't need to read too much about what's happening in the news industry to realize, Oh, it's getting like, you know, local papers get swept up and bought out by large people who are just analyzing profit and they'll just shut it down if the profit margin's not there. And you start to realize, oh, without without a press that's well-funded and well-embraced for the sake of being funded and embraced, on, and embraced on a local level, you go, you don't, you don't have as many outlets that have the actual room to tell the human interest stories of things that are small and things that show up, you, you start to probably have a lot of graft and corruption that people are getting away with. Because like you said, there's just less reporters and less experienced reporters, l let alone thinking about when we grew up with the ledger. I mean, the fact that you had Seppenwall on TV and Eisenberg on sports in the same paper, and it was a New Jersey paper. This was like, those are legendary names. And that was our local paper in Jersey. You go, it's such a shame that, um, everything's getting squeezed for profit margins because we had, we had, when I was in a star ledger state house bureau, uh, this was like uh, Whitman going into the McGreevy administration. We had 13 reporters in the star ledger state house bureau, just covering the state house. Yeah. I mean, and Christy Whitman would come out and she would face a press corps of like people who, who knew things. She was going to be asked about things that she had no idea about. You have like these reporters, <laughs> who were amazing reporters and they'd be like, you know, what about this? And you know, they, you know, they just face a much, you know, the governor comes out now and there's the same four or five, maybe, I don't know how the entire press corps, state house press corps is probably the size of what just the ledger was, you know, it's Trenton yeah, adding up all the papers back then. I bet I doubt if there's 13 reporters covering the state house. And we all know these Jersey politicians see that as an opportunity. Oh. We, know, we all know there are some of these people out there with bad intentions who are just counting the dollar signs in their heads going, I bet I can get away with this. I bet I can get away with that. 
Um, we need just, those. We need those good. It's like if you pay, if everybody paid for subscriptions to their papers and funded a couple more reporters, I bet you'd wind up with lower taxes in Jersey because you'd have more politicians getting caught for the graft that is making your taxes go up. I bet it would actually be a very cost-effective uh, investment to just have more reporters. The, the number of stories that are going unwritten right now that we don't know about is would would, would drive us. You know, you'd, you'd be just you'd be weeping in the fetal position in the corner if if you knew of what all the stuff that's going on that is not being uncovered that might have been uncovered if you know there were as many reporters as as there used to be. I mean, another but another part of that corruption is just the number of towns in New Jersey and the layers of government. Yeah, yeah. and. And the ballot rigging and the county, the county having such an outwardly sized influence. There's so much of it that's fascinating and impossible to figure out. Right. So, I mean, if you take like an example, like if if there's 560 towns and it's say say let's say 10 percent of every paving contract involves graft or a bribe, you know, if New Jersey had 20 towns, that would be that would be two corruption cases. But it's 50. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's, that's, that's just the theoretical. It's yeah, fifty criminals running things. You know, like there's just more opportunities. There's more transactions. I, I, I've done a lot of this kind of stuff over the years too. I mean, I did a series back at the Ledger called "Towns That Shouldn't Exist," mm-hmm. and I went out to these little towns like High Nella and East Newark, and I was like, "Why? These are your gar- what? your Garwoods what of the is world? This a town?" And every time <laughs> the mayors would tell me the same thing. Well, well, we run a tight ship here. I think we do things very economically. And I'm like, yeah, like the mayor of Hyanella, he was, the town hall was in a trailer, like a double wide trailer was town hall. And I'm like, who, who does your grant writing? Like, how are you making sure you're getting money from the state and the feds to pay for the playground down the street? Or there's yeah. no, and he's like, we just, we, we do things the way we like to do it around here, you know, <laughs> and we run a good ship. Like there's no, there's no professional class running a lot of these towns in New Jersey. Yeah. We've created 560 podunk towns where like, somebody gets elected mayor because he was a little league coach for 20 years and right. was a nice guy. And, and then each like of him. those towns has their own police chief and their own yeah. this and their own and schools. Suddenly that little league coach is, is in charge of a $10 million budget. You know, and, and the, the trash collection company's like, hey, we could kick you a little. Oh, and all of a sudden, the little league coach is thinking, ooh, I, love you know, it. I could go to Disney World. You know, I, I can even see where the temptation comes in. Like, you can, you know, you can see how corruption happens when you boil it down to those, those stories and who's, who these characters are. Now, speaking of things that have gone unreported, one thing I'm very fascinated with you is there have to be story ideas where you go, there's a piece of it, but it's just not totally there. Or I've got an inkling of something, but I don't quite have the angle on it. Point being, every time you and I have crossed paths, you've dropped at least one fact on me that has made me just start smiling ear to ear. And this might be something you did do a story on, but I remember the last time that we hung out, you offhandedly were like, Something along the lines of saying, like, oh, do you know that Space Farms has a contract where they're allowed to just scoop up roadkill all over the state and feed it to their animals? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And you're like, oh, yeah, I got to go. I'll see. I was like, you must know more one-sentence, mind-blowing <laughs> things about New Jersey than maybe anyone else in this state. I've done the Space Farms roadkill story now three different times. Oh, Every time so I get a job good. at a new news outlet, I'm like – I got to do this face farm story again. It's a whole new audience. Nobody's seen it. I uh, love yeah, it. they have the contract for like six counties. They go out, they collect the dead deer. <laughs> they gather the dead deer. First of all, they get paid to collect per deer per head. And then it's free food for their mountain lions and their lions and tigers. So not it's, only are they not paying for those, the food they're, uh, they're getting paid by the state. It's an amazing deal. They're getting they're getting not just free food for their big cats. They're getting paid to get food for their free cats. And they talk about how great this deer meat is for their, you know, it gets the hair and the bone and all the different things that they. Uh, <laughs> this is a crazy story. The last time I did the, <laughs> the last time I did the uh, space farms story, um, I had a GoPro camera. That was the last time. It was one of the times I did this story. I had a GoPro camera. And I have the GoPro footage, right? The GoPro on a selfie stick, right up against the cage, as these big chunks of 
of deer meat are being thrown in and it is bone chilling like mountain like it is it is uh, it, it just scares you to your core like you know to see these beasts ripping apart and the sounds rawr. um so and i so i have this great footage close-up footage um and then i i, I went and i the I was working briefly, very briefly at Channel 9 at Chasing News, which is another, I was there six months, that's so another whole story. Uh, and then the next day, they, they wanted me to do a story about winter surfing in New Jersey. So I had the GoPro on the board, and I'm surfing, uh, and I lose the GoPro. And the GoPro is gone. Uh, it's my own personal GoPro, and I'm like, I'm totally bummed. I lost the whole s story. And then some guy calls me, like, I get an email Two weeks later, some guy found it miles away in Holgate at the end of the, the on Long Beach Island. He took the footage. He found a previous story I had done about clamming in the Navasink River, zoomed in on my clamming license, got my name, and he calls me and he says, I felt like I needed to return this GoPro because I saw this footage of these big cats ripping apart flesh. He's like, I thought this was a, this camera belonged to a Russian mobster and it might have a GPS on it. And if I didn't return it. I was going to be like, is. this This person has cats and lions <laughs> ripping apart chunks of flesh. I better get this camera back to this person. That is so good. And I also love that you've like, there's some guy in Sussex County where his job is like, he goes, finds deer, throws them to cats. And then he just like goes home to his wife and kids in Wantage or wherever. And he goes to bed at night. And he doesn't just go home to his kids. He goes to the state house and makes laws for us, Chris. He's, a, he's an assemblyman. That guy who, who owns the zoo. I, yeah. He, the I, guy who um, throws the, the deer owner, at the owner. Well, his son. <laughs> <laughs> of course. The, oh, yeah, of course. The owner of the farm uh, space is a Parker space. I'm, I don't know if I'm mixing up the father and son. I'm terrible with names. But the, there's an, he's an assemblyman from Sussex County who owns space farms. Uh, and I went out with the son collecting the roadkill. Um, Essex County, Union County. If you live in any of those counties, the dead deer you see on the side of the road is going to be eaten by a lion. <laughs> Pretty soon. That might be the greatest individual sentence set in the history of New Jersey's the world. Yeah, so when you're driving you, past the Livingston Mall and you see a dead land. deer on the yeah. side of the road. <laughs> That's cool. lion food. At some point in the next week, a... a absolute specimen of a beast will be tearing rendering it asunder i'm amazed joe DiVincenzo doesn't let that he lets those go up to success so that should be turtle back zoo meat right there joe d runs a tight ship joe d why are you letting our meat get it get that's away a good point chris joe d yeah. loves that joe d treats the turtle back zoo like his own personal backyard I'm what is this ask, i'll ask joe d that next time that'd be a that'd be a good question so you me. get access see that tells me that you're a bad because you're such a laid-back nice guy but you are badass because i'm going to tell you something now that you said that, I have some. There's a fan of our podcast who works um, in the Democratic Party in the state, and he, I met him, and he was like, "Dude, if you ever want to talk to people, let me know." I was like, "Well, one of my dream interviews would be Mikey Sherrill. She's my congresswoman. I think she's really amazing. The fact that she flipped the Freeling Heisen State in Morris County, this this red seat, and she does su it's such a hard job of walking between like the." Reagan Republicans and, 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 you know, trying to hang on to the progressives and Montclair and like all this. I'm like, she's fascinating. He was like, yeah, I know her people emailed the people. They set it up, gets it done. He's like, who else do you want to talk to? I'm like, well, the other big one as a West orange kid, I'm like, I'd love to talk to Joe D. And he's just like, yeah, no, nobody. Uh, I can't get you Joe D. He's like, Joe, I was like, you got me a United States Congressman and like a really like a name brand one. Like you got me out of the New Jersey Congress people. Mikey Sherrill's a get. I, he's like, you don't fuck around. Like you don't fuck around with Joe D. Like you're not, you don't ask for favors. From oh, Joe I was Joe like, D. man, Joe D's a badass. Huh? I got a good Joe D story. Uh, <laughs> so when I was at the ledger, I would do a lot. I, I didn't do as frequent videos, which is what kind of allowed me to, to do more sort of pub, pub, public policy breakdowns was I would, I spent a lot of time just filming video in the state house, going to Chris Christie town halls, going to press conferences. And then I would do like one a week. So I could really get a grasp of an issue, interview four or five people. Um, so anyway, I'm in the state house uh, and uh, Christie is at a press conference in the outer office, governor's outer office about pension reform uh, and the problems with the pension system and the pension fund is broke for public workers and in walks to the press conference Joe D walks in. 
right? This is one of the things that I love about, like, when I was a print reporter, I was always frustrated that sometimes the most amazing thing that would happen in the day would not end up in the story. Like, the reporters would come back in the newsroom and be like, can you believe what happened? This, and they'll tell this crazy story. And then they sit down and write this boring story about, well, Chris Christie announced pension reform changes today. I'm like, I'm like, no, Joe D is here. Joe D is the pension, is the, is the poster boy he for got pension for abuses. That, right? He got nailed right? for that. He is retired collect collecting a pension but still working like he's the ultimate double dipper he's a huge symbol of, of what's wrong part of what's wrong with the pension system and like what a lack of self-awareness he walks into a press and i'm slack joe i'm like joe D. And, and joe d is not there for any reason other than he happened to be in the state house and he was like oh i'll walk in there's a press conference i'll go see what's going on and then so I walk up to Joe, everybody goes up and I walk to Jordi and I put the camera in the microphone. I'm like, Joe, do you, do you think it's a little ironic that you're here? <laughs> and I made that my story. Yeah. My story for the day was the poster boy for pension abuses is hanging out while the governor is announcing. And the relationship between Christie and Joe D was very chummy, right? Like Christie, yeah. he, he might be talking a good game about trying to crack down on on the on the pension and and stabilize the pension but he he's not going to mess with joe d's pension so i did that story man and like inevitably the next day i'm in the car and my cell phone rings and it's joe d's hold for joe d can you please hold for joe it's his folks they say joe d yeah they don't say say say, hold on for joe d and i'm like all right i pull the car over that's and i am so ready i am like I'm not like I'm my the adrenaline and, he, and he's like Brian and he says he comes on and he tells me that he's he was upset with the story why did I do that and I was like Joe Joe you can't you can't you, you can't you got to admit this was this was you know you're the for better or for worse you're the poster boy for this I was like if if me giving you shit for this on on a web video that's going to get fifty thousand views is the price that you're going to pay for collecting double your income now you know what I'll take that deal. So just get over it. That was a story, you know. He must have respected you for that. He was very, you know, he's he's a a fascinating character, Joe D, because as much as you can see him as a scoundrel in that situation, um, you know, they just did a deal. You know, Newark had incredible lead crisis with water, and Joe D stepped in and was like, we're going to bond county money and fix this. And Newark became a national model for how to fix Led water, partially because of its, you know, Ross Baraka and his administration did a great job, but also because Joe D stepped in and was like, we got to, we got to fix this. You know, so he's this real old school machine politician with all of the uh, abuses. And you can see that comes with that and all of the sketchy stuff that sometimes you see with people being hired and patronage and, but you know, there's also results like the parks in that county look great. Um, hey, the it's, Turtleback it's, Zoo it's, was a shithole when I was a kid. It was not a nice place when I was growing up. I grew up in West Orange. I was there for every birthday party, and it was pretty sad. Now it's rocking. It's nice. The Christmas celebration looks great. And guess a lot of the parks of? do. A lot of those parks Joe do. D. You know, even um, with the pension thing, I do not think it's right. But from what I've read up on it, he pretty much also has like said, like, yeah, it's a loophole and it sucks, but I got to it's got to do what's best for my family, and if it's there, I got to take it. And it's like, well, if you're gonna be like a shifty politician, at the very least, I respect you owning it, Joe D. I like that part. Yeah, but they can. Joe D. has a lot of sway over the lawmakers in the assembly and right. senate so he can say he could, you know don't change this law he could instantly <laughs> fix it there is the other option you could right. you could snap your fingers and it would be fixed but outside of that if you if okay um but it's complicated these guys are not so you know it's not so simple to just you lionize or demonize any of these yeah. people you know so yeah. and joe d is a great example of that like he is fascinating he, to me he is, he, someone's going to write a book with a character based on him someday. And people are, it, it's going to show up in like a David Simon type <laughs> show. And people are going to go, this is not real. And it's going to be one of the things where a show creator has to be like, no, it's actually based on this guy, Joe D, um, who pulled off all this nonsense in public sight and was kind of simultaneously judged and beloved. I, I, as an Essex County guy in my heart, he is. I, I, I don't even know what to think of the guy, but I do want to bring him. Are there are there 
Are there things out there in Jersey that you haven't found the angle on yet or that you haven't found your take on yet where you're like, there's, there's, there's this weird stuff and I'm going to get to it whether that's people or places or whatever it is, are there, or, or are you, do you have freedom at this point where if you have that hunch or you have that thread, you can just dive in at it. I legitimately don't have a plan, man. I, I am by the seat of my pants. If I knew what I was doing next week, I'd be a lot more relaxed right now. Like it's just, you know, the, the nature of the beast with TV is if you have an idea, you do it. Boom, bang, bang, boom. It's on TV and it's on to the next thing. Like I don't have a huge, catalog of ideas you know i i just have a, i have a general strategy you know i like to cover different parts of the state if i've done too many stories in the north i want to go down to the south if i've done too many uh profiles of one type of person i want to I, I, it's really important to me to represent every type of new jerseyan and different people of all walks of life no matter what that is um so that's a general sort of strategy and and format i have you know, I, there's a part of me too, like having a hard news background. I always feel this pull, that like I'm, a, you know, I'm a little bit like it's not really journalism unless you're really, I don't know, illuminating something that is not right in the world. You know, and I've kind of gotten over that. Mm -hmm. I struggled with that for a long time, um, but I do really. I, I kind of wish I could do a little more stories about that kind of stuff. You know, I did a story. Uh, about these uh, racial covenants and deeds over the winter, which is these old deeds when houses were built, like in the early 20th century in New Jersey, a lot of them just said, do not, this house must not be sold to an African-American. You know, uh, Italians were in some of those deeds. Uh, so I, I called the Bergen County clerk. I said, is this, these deeds ever pop up when you're doing title searches? And they sent me a couple. They're, and so I went to these neighborhoods and knocked on people's doors and was like, Hey, you have any clue that you have any idea? Does anybody ever talk about the fact that when your house was built, you know, it, it could only be sold to a white person. Like that's, that's me. Nice being like, you'd like to have yeah. that break at your ding dong. Here I am like the bearer of good. Yeah. Uh, but, but I Sorry to interrupt your dinner, but do you want to personally uh, reckon with our country's racial yes, exactly. real estate nightmare laws? Uh, redlining centuries of housing discrimination. But, uh, I mean, I think that story, but you know, like the comments I got was it opened people's eyes. And I tried to say, this is not just this one town in Bergen County. This was everywhere. This just like shaped the whole state that we live in is kind of this, this legacy of, of discrimination. And, and like, you know, where I grew up in union, um, you know, this is just a sort of a white flight neighborhood too. And it was, it was shaped by all those policies. And I, I still like to do, We'd like to do more of those, but those are tough, man. You really got to have it down. You really got to know your stuff and to strike the right tone so you're not sounding preachy in those pieces. There's just so much yelling and screaming back and forth in the media. And that's that when I do a story like that, I, it's really, I try to be really careful and just do it the right, the right tone or it's not going to work, you know? And I have to say too, not to blow smoke, but as, as someone who has, has um, been, you know, Someone who you have interviewed, I've seen you in action, and someone who watches your stuff, I would actually argue that it's that exact mentality that makes something like the surfboard special. Because when you drop that line in the middle of that piece of, you know, this is the this is that dichotomy of the Midlands. You're in the middle of everything and the middle of nowhere at the same time. Not everybody can do that, and that takes the the same. The same part of you, I think, that honors the fact that you are a trained journalist, that you do have a background, that you do feel like it's got to be real journalism, it does set it apart. And I'm, I'm not just trying to blow smoke here because we're speaking, because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who point cameras at things and run, you know, run their Instagram accounts. And a lot of them are a lot of them are really good. Not some of them aren't, you know, um, but your stuff does even the stuff that feels fluffiest on the surface it's very clear that your gears are turning and your your instincts are going there's something about that surfboard that i know it's worth throwing a kayak in this filthy river and getting a rash for and those are that's a journalist's instincts right and a journalist's ability to package and deliver that and i can see it showing up even when it's not redlining i see it show up in all all your stuff thanks man i appreciate that i, I means a lot that you you recognize it i mean with like the, the meadowlands story i kind of knew even if it went off the rails and went wrong like it's that uncle floyd moment like it's going to be good story if we all just fall yeah. in the mud and doesn't work 
Um, and that the story, I was actually, at, at one point we were about to give up and I was like, okay, well, the story is about the Meadowlands. It's about yeah. how impenetrable this place still is. Um, and then, you know, while I'm putting these stories together, even if I'm on a tight deadline and I'm editing for that night or whatever, I, I try to take one step back and say, you know, what is this story really about? Like what, what larger theme in terms of human connection, uh, is this, is this really about? And, um, the, like the Meadowlands story was, it really was just, it was about a surfboard floating in the Meadowlands. But what it became about was this guy, Tony G just looking for a little piece in his life. You know, he takes his, he takes his breaks in his trucking place for 15 years every day. And he's back there looking at, he's telling us about the egrets and the snakes. And some of his lines were, were, you know, there's this thing that lives in the pipe. It's, it's uh, looks like a freaking teddy bear. I don't know what it is. <laughs> he was great. You know? So really when it became, I was like, this is, this story is about, you know, a struggle that we all have, which is to find a little corner of the world where we can find some peace. And sorry, I, no, I didn't mean to interrupt a beautiful thought, but I think another thing that I want to give you credit for that I wonder if you hear it enough is outside of what the stories are about, I also, I also remember so distinctly growing up in this state and how nobody asked you to think about this state um, in a layered way. And, and, you know, you go to high school here and everybody's, you know, you start to realize, at least in West Orange High, it was like, who's going out of state? Who's going to Rutgers? Who's going to Morris County? Who's going to Essex County? And that was like the, almost like this classes tears that start to break down of like, who's escaping? And if you're staying to what level are you staying sucked in on it? But a lot of your stuff has not just even what it's about, but you think about all the towns that border the Meadowlands and all the kids that are sitting in those towns and how there's some kid sitting there who's going, I never thought about bringing a kayak into this. That's, I could walk two blocks and put a kayak in there and I've never even thought of doing it. And you don't, even, there's those kids who are sitting there going, because of a piece like that going, oh, there's like a whole thriving ecosystem, both nature and people apparently that's sitting right there behind me. And I've been trained to never even look in its direction in this state. And that's a really beautiful aspect of what you do is even the most recent one, um, you know, Hey, there's a Jersey shore band and the lead singer is three feet tall and in a wheelchair. And you go for a lot of people, that would be a joke or that would be a TikTok that was maybe getting millions of views for the wrong reasons. But the way that you do it is, Hey, like, let's think about, you start to think about like, there are people overcoming challenges and there's a lineage of creativity in this state and all these things that you don't need to say, but that just hold a mirror up to it that kind of tell anyone who finds it, like, you know, pardon my French, but just like, you should be fucking proud and fascinated oh, of this dude, place, thanks. you know? And, and that shines through on everything you do. And I've, since I, I met you, I've thought that's true. Just I, I, the, the, the amount of stories and characters that this place provides <laughs> for me it makes that, you know, sort of not that it's, this is the easiest place in the world to do my job. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's a freaking hard job. You know, I love it. It's, it's the miles and the work and the editing and the mental anguish of coming up with ideas, but this is, I, it'd be hard to do the kind of variety of, of stuff. And like I said, like I, I try to, you got to expand the story. I, I think having a training in newspapers really helped because in, when you're writing a newspaper story, you always have the nut graph. It's called the, the nut graph, which is the, when you sort of get through the, the introduction and the paragraph that says, what the hell is this about? You know, and that story about Shorty Long and the Jersey Horns, this boardwalk cover band who are great, um, became about a guy who's, uh, celebration of life really I, I i toyed with the idea of whether to go that far whether it was hyperbole to say that a shorty long show in the beachcomber bar in seaside heights on a saturday night is really a celebration of life uh you know you got the pagans work at the door that's beautiful um, but it it really is after talking with him and sitting down with him um you know there's, it's you know i i felt like that's what it was uh so I, a lot of this too comes from, um, you know, like I talked about getting older, you know, like you, 
that's not a line I could have written 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, it would have sounded hokey. I wouldn't have been comfortable saying it. Um, I've been through enough stuff in my own life that that show really felt like a celebration of life. You know, yeah. Uh, I had relatives of mine there, family members uh, hanging out who we've been through a hell of a lot and they're dancing and jumping around. And I knew everybody in that crowd probably had similar stories and it's a Saturday night and they're jumping up and down singing sweet Caroline in a, in a boardwalk bar in the summer night. And it's like, it's freaking glorious, man. And, uh, I'm not going to make any bones about saying that like, that's, that's what it's about, man. This is pure, pure joy. That story was about joy and about triumph for, for that guy. Um, Shorty long himself, but, I love it. I feel like I could, uh, as, ever since we met, I'm like, oh, you, I feel like I could sit and talk with you for hours about this stuff, but I, uh, I don't want to take up your whole night. I want to say, talk all night, man. Well, dude, <laughs> listen, I also know, I mean, you were very nice just for everybody. First of all, a couple caveats I want to put out there. If you've heard cartoons in the background uh, on my end and my mic faintly, it's because my son is, uh, I'm solo parenting this week. So my son is watching dino trucks and letting me, um, do this. Also want to say I contacted you very last minute. I was like, Hey, when should we do an interview? And you were like, anytime I was like, how about tonight? And you were totally down, but you're also visiting family. So I don't, I don't want to take it up all night, but I got to say, it's like, uh, you're one of a handful of people I think who, uh, does, you know, just like as you're talking about, as you're talking about, you know, shorty long right there, I'm going, uh, it's the same reason that people love the blind waiter on uh, on Route 17 at the Bendix Diner. It's the same reason. I, I'm, I live in Morris County now, and I go to the movie theater in Morristown, and everybody who grew up around here talks about how there used to be the guy who took the tickets and he used to make all crazy noises with his mouth all night long, and then they fired him when the theater got sold, and it's so heartbreaking. But there is such a celebration. And you saying before, too, now I'm just rambling, but like, I have to imagine you, you have one of the only jobs I imagine where you're going to go do a thing where you go on some adventure looking for the story and then you can stop to eat on the way home and you'll probably be handed another story from another weirdo because the state is crawling with them of, well, let's get the GoPro back out because the guy at the deli we thought we were just getting lunch at is all of a sudden telling us that he's uh, walked on the surface of Mars after an alien abduction or something. You know, like it's just everywhere in this state and... I just feel, I feel it, it, you're one of those people that I have to say, I give high praise to where I go, I've lived a life I'm very proud of. And you're one of the few people where I'm jealous of your job. Cause I've been very lucky with my jobs. I go, man, that's a sweet gig. You work your ass off to do it. It's not easy. I think way more goes into it than anyone might realize. And when I've interviewed you, but uh, I do like to come home every time I go over the story, I like to come home with one more, you know? Yeah, I did a story yeah. about Jersey barriers a couple uh, couple months ago. There's a spot out in Hunterdon County where there's a sign like this is where Jersey barriers were invented. It's right, is that Jug, Jugtown Mountain, right? Yeah, that's yeah, Jugtown Mountain. Yeah. So I did that story. That's a story that's kind of been like in the back of my mind forever. You know, it was a slow. It was a day I didn't have anything else. I'm like, all right, I do have sort of those ideas in the back of my mind. And then I'm editing the story in a parking lot of a the busy bee. I don't want to give my own story away here. But the Busy Bee uh, convenience store, and I go in to see what I'm going to get for to, for lunch. And in the back of the Busy Bee is a pizzeria with this guy from Italy, and the pizza's amazing. Like, and that, so this is, I'm going to do this story probably next week about yeah. this is what New Jersey has great pizza. It's not the place in Jersey City that the New York Times says is the best pizza, you know, to go. It's the fact that in a Busy Bee convenience store, there's a dude in the back who's making pretty decent pizza that's right. the story of of new jersey pizza so i do like you know you go out you do one story and then man you stop for lunch and you get the next one it's just you just trip over them you just got to keep your ears I, I spoke to a college class recently like where do you get your stories that's always the question i get it's like where do you get your stories like just just look and listen and ask what what the hell is what's what is this how is there such What's this guy from Italy in the back of a convenience store? How, how did that happen? Yeah. I can't wait to find out how that happened. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, I got to say, as someone who loves this state and as part of a project that's all about loving the state, we're lucky to have you. And I hope oh, you, uh, you too, hope man. You Your show is great. This podcast oh, is great. Uh, listen. I listen to every episode. Thanks. And and look, I mean, we're just, uh, I think we're just trying to be in that same lineage that, that you're in that I, I named before and, and, uh, 
you know, someday we'll get there. But I, I hope you do this job forever. And I also hope that once it starts weighing too heavy on you, you take a well-deserved <laughs> break. Because I know it's not easy. And I, I have seen how hard you work personally. So thank you for doing it. Chris, man, thanks a lot. I was so stoked to do this, man. Oh, the best. I'm, I'm at the very least, I, I love hearing that Joe D story. That's amazing. And I love getting to tell you uh, one-on-one that your stuff does strike that chord that, that I think it does for a lot of us out here because uh, who knows if you get to hear it as often as you should, but it's, it's really, really true. Feeling is mutual, man. Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the world is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Kopp, and Mike D. New Jersey is the world is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the world and on Instagram at New Jersey is the world. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World, where New Jersey is the World.